Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to the Over the Cap podcast. It's October 12th, 2022, and this is Jason Fitzgerald. You can find me on Twitter at Jason underscore OTC. Uh, not joined by Nelly this week as I have been booted from the podcast uh, location, the little podcast studio downstairs. We've been booted for a uh, round of Fortnite, apparently. So uh, I moved upstairs to do this recording. So uh, hopefully this sounds okay by the time I get uh, finished with it, just since uh, all my stuff is not in the usual spots for things. Um, didn't get a chance to do the podcast last week, was just a little bit busy with some stuff. And uh, even today, just kind of shoehorning it in, my daughter's not feeling well, so we had some stuff to do with that. But uh, you know, hopefully she is on the road to recovery and you know she'll be better in the coming days, or so we hope. Um we actually have good football in New York right now. It is, it's kind of weird. You know, it's been quite some time since there's been anything positive about the Jets and Giants. And you've got the Giants at four and one and the Jets at three and two. And, um, you know, you, you can nitpick about the games and about the teams and whatever. But you know what? They're, they're playing much better than they have in the last couple of years. Uh, this this game from the Jets, I would say, was their most complete game since probably Sam Darnold's rookie season. Um, maybe that game against the Cowboys that they had, uh, which was, I think, his second year. Uh, that was the one when he probably came back from mono. But it was a really good all-around effort uh, from from the Jets and the Giants, who you know played earlier in the day over in London. Um, that was a pretty inspired effort as well. And I, I don't think it's um, necessarily about reevaluating the, the Jets and Giants um, yet at this juncture. You know, it's still still early. Uh, it's certainly for the Giants. I don't think anyone takes the Giants for real. Um, you know, when you look at the quarterback they have and uh, the way that they play, I think everyone knows that, you know, things will have to change if they're, they're going to have any kind of, uh, you know, ability to sustain this. I think the thing that I got the most really out of the Giants game was we need to reevaluate the Packers. Um, you know, the, the Packers, we've just grown accustomed to penciling them in. Uh, but the Packers are a team that started to get a little bit older. Um, you know, they, they've got a lot of really um, cumbersome contracts on their team. It's not that they're bad players, just that they, they've probably overextended themselves on a number of guys. Uh, obviously, you've got Devontae Adams that moved on from there and... And that's one of those relationships where the, those two sides are probably better off together um, than him in uh, Las Vegas, where he just pushed over a camera guy. And that's that's going to be interesting. If he gets suspended, that will probably void the guarantees in his contract. And I don't think he'd be going anywhere. But w- when you look at the Raiders season going off the rails, um, you kind of wonder if maybe they, they would think of making some changes already next year um, with their roster even though they, they had recently just signed some of these players. Uh, but, you know, I, I think with the, the Packers, you know, they're, they're clearly flailing right now. And I think this is a great time for the Jets to play them. Uh, obviously, this is in Green Bay, but they, they've, you know, had a big trip that they're coming back from. And you can hear it in their comments they make. I think there's a lot of self-doubt on that team right now as well. I think that team doesn't necessarily believe they're that good. Uh, obviously, there, there is a belief in Rodgers, but I don't think there's a belief in anyone he's playing with. You, you don't see any real explosion coming from the, the running backs there who, you know, they, they try to get involved in some stuff. Uh, the receivers there are not very good at the moment. They're unproven, uh, very up and down. 
And, you know, they're, they're just kind of trying to fit guys into that roster as best they can as they kind of come out from, you know, really a little bit of a, a salary cap situation. And, you know, a lot, a lot of it was really by their own doing that the way they handled the Jordan Love, um, the drafting of Jordan Love, they, they just missed the boat. Um, not picking him. You know, I have no issues with that at all. I don't think they had a strategy as to how to deal with Aaron Rodgers. Um, you know, it's very different than when Favre and Rodgers were on the same team. I, I think it was pretty much a given that it was Favre's team. And, you know, you, you didn't really let it linger that, that there was a possibility of him going, um, you know, unless he just wanted to play the retirement dance. And eventually it gets to the point where he's like, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. And then he's like, I want to come back. And it's like, no, we, we've turned the page. And they, they were kind of able to manage those egos. Here, they didn't do a very good job of managing the ego of Aaron Rodgers. They, I would actually say they did a, a pretty poor job of it. And that's compromised them as well, um, you know, with, with the way that they, they took what was a really an exceptional contract. And they've turned it into a pretty bad one. Um, not as bad as the Russell Wilson deal, but they, they've turned it into into a bad one. You know, one where if you're, you're looking at planning for the long term, um, they've probably done a little bit of a worse job there. So I, I, I'm not going to say that uh, I like the Jets um, completely in this game. I think it's important for the Jets to get off to a fast start. Uh, I, I think you, you want to keep in, you know, keep that self-doubt kind of creeping in there, especially with the defense and everything else. You know, the, that look that the, some of those guys had on the sideline against the Giants where they're just sitting there shaking their heads at what's going on. And, um, you know, that's what, you, as an opponent, you know, you love to see that. You know, and the, the Jets, they, they played well. Um, you know, the, the defense generated pressures. Now, a lot of that is based on the fact probably that the, the quarterback doesn't belong in the NFL at the moment. Um, you know, as a starter, you know, he, maybe he'll be something one day. Um, you know, he's not there right now. He wasn't prepared for that game. But uh, John Franklin Myers played great. He was all over the place. And I know that he's gotten a lot of criticism this year uh, for not, you know, not stepping up at times. But, you know, he was great. Um, he, he was the best player on the field for the Jets this, this past week. He doesn't get the credit for it. Um, you know, there was one play where he clearly is the, the reason that there was a sack. Quinton Williams, I think, is the one that got credit for it. You know, that, that sack is on him. You know, the turnovers, he gets credit on those turnovers. They realized those were on him. I think they even showed Gardner going up to him and, uh, you know, basically giving him a high five, like, thanks for giving me my first interception, um, you know, because of what he was doing. And, the, you know, the Jets took care of business, and a lot of Dolphin fans were all over the timeline, you know, ripping like, oh, well, you know, imagine if they had to play Bridgewater or Tua, like, you, you, you guys would have gotten killed. It's like you, you beat who's in front of you. You know, when the, when the bills were banged up and you've got the benefit of the temperature being 110 degrees, you know, what would you have said when the Bills fans were like, uh, come up to Buffalo, you're going to get steamrolled? You know, you, you, you would have been all over them for saying that after they lost the game. Um, you know, the, the Jets, they, they played well. They were efficient enough on offense. They hit... One big play where the Dolphins just completely lost it. They, they just lost uh, any sight of Brees Hall. Um, he just 
went out the backfield linebacker forgot to follow him and uh wide open for a monster gain and then they tried to instead of trying to tackle him i guess they were trying to grab at the football uh so you know he he's just kind of dragging the guy down to the goal line he got the the touchdown vultured um which for my fantasy team was unfortunate but uh you know in real football who cares um but yeah, it, it was a it was a nice win for the Jets, and hopefully, it's something they can they can build on. Um, you know, the NFL is weird; it, it's a very strange place. You know, you 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 talk so much about everything that goes into this. The what separates a team from being good and a team from being bad sometimes isn't that much. Um, you look at the Pittsburgh Steelers; uh, look at them against the Jets two weeks ago. That was a game of inches, literally inches, right? The the Jets had a, if I remember right, I think the Jets had a touchdown, which might have been a fumble, and, you know, just crosses the plane, so it's a touchdown. And you had Trubisky throw this rifle in the back of the end zone, and Deontay Johnson, I think, was on the, the reception on that. And, I mean, we're talking about maybe a big, a half of a big toe being out. If it was called a touchdown, it probably would not have been reversed. Same way, since it was called incomplete, it was not going to be reversed. And I mean, that one play, you don't know how the game would have you know, turned out, but that one play certainly cost Trubisky his job because if they had scored there, um, he probably doesn't get replaced in the middle of the game. And, you know, who knows how the, the end of that game turns out. And you, you could do that with so many games every single week where it's just, you know, a couple bounces of the ball, um, you know, a, a couple of lucky things here and there. And... It really does. It just comes down sometimes to a game of inches. And, you know, for the Dolphins, you know what? You're getting what you deserve because of what you did with the quarterback. I didn't get a chance to talk about it. And, I mean, it, it's been covered over and over and over and over again. So, I mean, there's no point in getting so much into it. But, you know, they're responsible for whatever changes are going to come to the league. And very clearly they were going to get um, no benefit of the doubt when Bridgewater went down. Uh, if you watch the video of how he came up, I mean, there's there's nothing even remotely close that would make you say, okay, yeah, he's got a head injury. Um, you know, and they pulled him. And now he's in concussion protocol. And I would imagine that he'll be cleared to play this week, but who knows? Um, they haven't said yet uh, as to what that'll be. So, you know, uh, that that's their own fault for bringing this on. And... I think the the other negative with it, we talked about this a little on Twitter. Uh, Mitchell Schwartz was bringing it up, and it's just that the uh, I think as you see these changes now, where they're going to get more aggressive, especially in the short term, uh, with the concussion protocol on the quarterback, I think you're going to just see more and more roughing the quarterback calls to try to get away from um, some of these different type of tackles. You know the. Yeah, the call in the Falcons game against the Buccaneers, which it is. It's an atrocious call, but I understand where they're coming from. You know, he he wraps up Brady, who's trying to get away. So to keep him from getting away, you know, you're pulling him into you and you're kind of, I mean, the momentum is going to take him down, right? It's going to take him to the ground and it's probably going to look like a throw. But the way that the that he was rolled, um, you know, he, he does come close to hitting his head, and that's what's going to draw that flag, especially because it's Tom Brady. If you call it the same across the board, 
I don't care. Brady always gets the benefit of the doubt in those things. But I think you're going to see more of that called uh, across the board. And you do ask the question, you know, what can the defense do? And I don't think there's much. You know, the, the game itself is not necessarily fair for the defense anymore. Um, it, it's very easy to get penalties on quarterbacks. You know, the glancing blow to a helmet. I mean, that that shouldn't be a penalty, but they, they do call it all the time. Um, you know, I, I think the league has to determine what do they want? Do they want to keep their quarterbacks healthy, which is obviously important because when you get into these second and third string guys, the game can become unwatchable. You know, the Dolphins offense at times was unwatchable and you had that coach who was simply playing to just, just get three points at the end of the half. They ended up scoring a touchdown um, he's playing for three. And when they have a chance to take the lead, he's just playing for three to barely take the lead because he doesn't trust his quarterback to do anything. And you don't want those kind of games in the league, uh, especially if a game is in prime time and you know y- your quarterback goes out and that's the kind of player that you have come in. Um, they're going to have to decide, you know, do you want to do that where you're really just going to protect the quarterback by basically saying, don't touch him, you know, or are you going to have to get rid of maybe some of the excitement that comes with these plays where the quarterbacks get away from a tackle? Because the reason that Grady Jarrett's got to grab um, Brady like that, you know, he gets him. Brady's trying to get away. And if he lets up and Brady gets away, well, who knows? That might end up being a big play. And you do see, you see exciting plays that happen. But the NFL has really cut down on those in-the-grasp calls. You know, when I was young, when I was little, first watching football, you saw it all the time. You, you would see guys who you'd get a defender on them. You know, they'd be on their waist, um, sliding down them, and the whistles would be blowing the flag, and the quarterback would dance out of it, and he'd be really upset. You know, Randall Cunningham, that might happen to, and Randall Cunningham's actually really, you know, elusive, elusive, Versus some of these other guys that were just able to kind of shake out of a tackle here and there. The league has moved away from that in part because it's much more exciting to watch today's quarterbacks who are much more athletic overall, um, you know, be able sometimes to, you know, break those tackles and, you know, make something happen out of what should be a dead play. And, you know, I think you have to get to the point where you're going to have to go back and start calling some of those plays if you don't want these guys to really just have to, you know, grab and yank as hard as they can, you know, to make sure a guy doesn't get away. You know, I I think that's pretty much what you're going to have to do. Um, You know, you have other plays where the guys are jumping on the quarterback. I don't mind that as much. Um, But again, it's one of those things where if you put rules in place where as long as you're there and, you know, you've got a, a shot, you know, on him, you might be able to let up a little bit knowing that that play is going to be whistled dead. And it that's not something that happens immediately. Uh, but eventually, I think you can kind of coach some of that out. I know how fast the game moves and how hard that is to do. 
Um, but guys are pretty well conditioned to the whistle. And even when you look at, you know, changes that have come in blocking and the old, you know, talking about clipping calls that used to happen all the time on the kickoffs and stuff like that. Eventually over time, when that becomes reinforced, especially at lower levels, uh, it becomes a little bit easier to, to kind of get those things out of the game. But I, I think that's going to be a byproduct that happens now out of the, the concussion protocols that are in place. Um, you know, just some other things on the week. I'm just looking at uh, real quick at some of these games here. Minnesota, Chicago. Um, Chicago plays hard. You know, they, they, they try. They're, they're not very talented, um, but they try. So you give them credit for at least trying to be competitive. I don't know what happened with Detroit. They just laid a complete goose egg against the Patriots. Uh, Jacksonville is back to sucking. So I, I guess the the Trevor Lawrence looking better thing didn't last very long, lasted a week or two. Um, you know, they're, they're back to being awful. They lose to Houston. Uh, yeah, the Browns and the Chargers. Uh, talk about that in a, a minute. Uh, but the Browns, you know, the Browns, you could probably make a case that the Browns should be undefeated. And that defense just continues to let them down over and over and over and over again. Um, Buffalo all over Pittsburgh. I mean, the, I don't think there's any question right now that Buffalo is the class of the NFL. Um, sorry, Eagles fans. I had Buffalo, I, I think, is a much better team uh, overall than Philadelphia. Uh, I think Philadelphia is a very, very good football team right now. I think they're a little inflated um, based somewhat on who they've played, but uh you know, I, I think the Bills are just a, they're playing at a different level right now. Can they sustain it? You're going to wait and see. Um, obviously, there's a history there that they can, but you know, you're going to have to wait and see um, if they can sustain it. But they're playing so well on both sides of the football right now. Um, Seattle, New Orleans, fun game. Um, Geno Smith is, I guess I, I guess it's kind of ironic. He, he didn't get the job the same way, but. This season is very 2015 Ryan Fitzpatrick-y. Um, you know, if you were a Jets fan or a Fitzpatrick fan, you know, Fitzpatrick would have these spats where he would just play out of his mind sometimes. And in 2015, Fitzpatrick looked like he was done. Like he 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 had settled into being a complete kind of journeyman spot starter backup quarterback type. And what would happen is he would start the season on the bench. The quarterback would falter. They'd bring him in for a couple games. He'd have a couple exciting games, a couple bad games, and whatever. He ended up on the Jets, and he had the best year of his career. Um, you know, he was just really good for most of the season. Um, you know, they came up short from the playoffs, but, uh, you know, he was able to turn that into short-term deal, but it was the biggest deal that he got in his career. And I, I would anticipate the same is going to happen for Geno Smith. Uh, who I think right now is probably looking at a contract that's probably going to be in the $20 million a year range, 20 to $25 million a year. It's not going to be for more than a season. Um, you know, I don't think they'll have any long commitment on him. But, you know, he's done a good job with that. Their defense is horrendous. Uh, they just got run over by Taysom Hill. Um, you know, the Saints don't really have an offense, but they, they just powered him to death, and the Seahawks had no answer. Uh, Washington and Tennessee, uh, Washington stinks. Um, you know, if you, if you're going to rely on uh, Carson Wentz, you know, when you talk about a franchise being in quarterback hell, any team that just constantly keeps turning to Carson Wentz is in quarterback hell. You know, the Colts quarterback hell commanders quarterback hell. We'll see who's the next one that uh, decides to go with Carson Wentz as the quarterback. Dallas beats the Rams. Dallas's defense is playing terrific. 
Um, I don't know why there's any questions about, well, do you keep Cooper Russian? No, you don't keep Cooper Russian. Whenever Dak Prescott is healthy and ready to go, you bring in Dak Prescott. That adds a lot more to your offense. Um, you just have to make sure that, you know, if you're, I can't say I watch enough to say, if you are coaching different um, because of Cooper Rush, maybe you should coach different like that as well when Prescott comes back in. You know, I'm not saying that you don't open up the playbook more. I'm talking more about game strategy and the stuff you're doing on defense. Don't over-rely on your great quarterback to make it like a crutch for the rest of your team. Like, this should be a, you know, something eye-opening that's like, well, you know, maybe we can just play like this all the time. Um, you know, with the the potential of the better quarterback in there um, once Prescott, be, you know, gets healthy. You know, so I... I Hopefully Dallas has kind of gained something from that. Philadelphia beats Arizona. Arizona. <laughs> they clock the ball on third down. I mean, it's it's just such a comedy there. I, I have no idea how they extended that coach. Just none at all. Just a just a complete comedy. All both of them should get homework clauses, the coach and the quarterback for that one. Um, you know, that that's just a that team hasn't since running off those games early in the season, uh, last year, that team has been terrible. And they continue to be terrible. And they're a one man show. They're an old football team, they have salary cap issues, and they're all relying on the quarterback and that's it. Um Yeah, just terrible. Uh, Baltimore over Cincinnati and didn't really pay much attention to it. And I didn't really watch much of the uh, Chiefs and the Raiders um, either. Watch a little bit of it early and then headed to sleep. Pretty much same thing with the uh, the Ravens and the Bengals. Um, you know, just, just watched a little of those games just to catch a little bit and then, you know, head off to do some, get ready for the morning uh, for some other stuff. But the, uh, you know, the big thing that came out of this week was once again, you get into these fourth down calls. And this is because the Chargers at the end of the game. So the Chargers are up two. And the decision here is go for it on fourth down or punt the ball. You know, I think they were on the uh, Browns 44, 45, something like that. And uh, he makes the decision to go for it and the world explodes. And I don't understand why the world explodes it, it's just it's such a weird phenomenon in the NFL and it, this is the way that NFL teams play you play to extend the game it, it's such a weird concept you know the the I'm talking about this a little on Twitter you know the end result of a football game is a win or a loss you know it, it, there's not style points there's no um real middle ground, you know, it's not like you get, um, you know, a half a win for losing, uh, losing with style. Um, it's a win or a loss. It doesn't, it doesn't matter which it is. And everyone kind of plays into these weird extend the game, you know, I don't know, play it as, cause this wasn't even an extend the game decision. Um, you know, play it as, as safe as possible, play it as by the numbers as possible. And I don't 
really understand it. You know, I, I just don't understand that logic. I mean, there there is a little bit from the self-preservation of a coach. That, that I do kind of understand a little bit. And what I mean by that is if you're making a decision like this and your decision is, okay, fourth and one, if we make it, the game is over. If we punt the ball, the game is not over. If we don't make it, the game is not over. So both of those situations, game not over, I at least have an opportunity to go for it and that would make the game be over. If you don't get it, you don't make the first down, you're going to get criticized during the game. You're going to get criticized after the game, um, you know, by all the typical talking heads about everything. And those voices are pretty loud. And God forbid you lose the game, those voices are going to be louder and louder and louder. And in those cases, yeah, because eventually that creeps up to the owner. And eventually the, the owner goes to question like, well, why are you doing it? And, you know, when you go there, you know, the same way Harbaugh the other week was, well, you know, the numbers kind of told us this. Am I paying you to be the head coach or am I paying John from analytics to be the head coach? Because John doesn't make what you make. And if he's going to make the decisions on game day, well, maybe I can just make John be the head coach. So, you know, I, those are considerations that come into play. You know, you, you do get a big benefit of the doubt sometimes from, it's one of the worst, most nonsensical stats that there is. How many times the team was in a one score game? I hate that statistic. I, I absolutely hate it. It's like, yeah, you know, they, they lost all these times by seven points. Seven points is a pretty big margin, number one. Number two, how did they get to those seven points? You know, how did, how did they get within one score? There's a bunch of meaningless stuff late. You know, it, really the best thing that you could do is probably look at some type of win probability charts and, you know, add up something along the lines of how many minutes was that team within a 40% chance of winning? Maybe something like that. That's a lot better than the meaningless, like, you're within seven. But it does have some meaning to people. You will have fans that will, will rely on that. You know, it's a young team, they're learning. They were in every game. You know, or when the coach is at the end, you know, that that's when the, those one-score games work against you. Um, you know, when they, they start saying, if we had a different coach you know, the outcome would be different. But it, regardless, you, you still, you, you kind of, you do have these things that hang over the head of a coach. And I get that. Because th there's no there's no outcome that's going to be positive in terms of what you're dealing with. The only way that narrative is going to change is A, either the whole league has to change, or B, you get one of these respected coaches um that kind of applies that methodology to a game. The closest guy who's out there right now that would do that is probably Harbaugh in uh, Baltimore. That That's probably the one. But the other young coaches aren't going to have the respect to get away with it. And I'm not even sure he will. You know, but if you had like Belichick go in that manner, 
that might get you somewhere. Um, but Belichick's not going to do that. That's not that's not his style um, whatsoever. And instead, you you just wind up with all these wacky situations where, um, you know, the fourth downs come and everybody explodes. And from a numbers standpoint, I mean, this is such an easy one. Like, I, this is the one I don't get at all. What are you picking up with a punt there? Quite quite honestly, what are, what are you gaining with a punt? If you're on the 45, you know, and there's about a, what was it, a minute, minute and 15 seconds left in the game. You're basically saying, okay, we're going to punt the ball. You'll probably get the ball at the 20. Let, let's say we do great and you get the ball at the 10. What did we pick up? 15 yards, 25 yards? You've got plenty of time because all you need to do is get a field goal. You know, there's plenty of time for them to do that regardless of if they're starting on the 40 or they're starting on the 20. You know, it's not that much different. The way offenses can move the ball and the legs that kickers have, the outcome in those spots is pretty similar. The the difference, um, you know, the, the difference is not going to be that big. Uh, you know, the... Ben Baldwin's uh, thing had had the numbers on it. I, I don't remember them off off top of my head. Um, I, I think going for it will give you an eighty eight percent chance of winning, and uh, not going for it was probably seventy six, seventy five, maybe seventy four, um, somewhere mid seventies. And you know, it, it's just it's just logic. Like it, it, this one's not even difficult. Like th- this one is. Not difficult at all. You know, the Harbaugh decision a couple weeks ago, I, I think there was a little bit more that you could you could get into on that one, at least just in terms of game strategy and stuff. This was as straightforward as could be. The Browns need to do the same thing either way. The, um, the announcers, as soon as the pun happens, are going to say the same thing in both spots. Well, it's on the defense now. Doesn't matter if they have the ball at the 20. Doesn't matter if they have the ball at the 30, the 40, the 10, wherever it is. Well, it's on that Chargers defense now. Got to get a stop. That's the same. That that outcome is the same. So I don't see why everybody is going crazy over, you know, the 20 yards there. Well, maybe if there was like five seconds left in the game, okay. You know, because... Maybe there was there was a slim chance they could throw it out and take a super long field goal chance, whereas on a ten yard line, twenty yard line, they're not going to be able to do that. You know, they're not going to be able to run a play um, anywhere to, you know, to probably get into field goal range to try to do that. But they had time, so why not take the one opportunity that gives you a kill shot and still gives you a chance to win? You know, that, that's the thing. When, when you look at this stuff, everybody looks at these as like, well, if you go against the norm, the complete negative is always going to happen. Think about it this way. If you were a Chargers fan, and let's say the Chargers had the ball in their own territory, and let's say they went three and out, had the ball in their own 25 they punt the ball, not a great punt, you get a little return, and the Browns get the ball at their 40. What is your reaction? Immediate same thing. Well, it's on the defense now. 
you know, you, you weren't put at a disadvantage because you went for it. You know, you're maximizing your opportunities to win a game. You know, whether you lose by a point because you gave him the ball at the 40 or you lose by a point because you decided to punt and start the, the, the series at the 20 or the 10 doesn't make a difference. You're just trying to get the most opportunities that you can to win in football. And I, I think what I don't like about fourth down decision making in the NFL is we don't have consistency and you don't have teams that kind of build towards it. Um, and I, I think that maybe is a little bit of the problem. I know I've talked about this before. I, I know one time I was talking with a coach um, just about, you know, it, just general analytics. You know, obviously I'm, that's not my biggest thing um, when it comes to it, unless you want to talk about certain contract things. But, you know, I, I get into it and I like the numbers. I like working with that kind of stuff. You know, I, I think that that's, that's fun. Um, you know, obviously the draft stuff. We can I can talk about that in a minute too, if you want. Um, you have a discussion about it. And, you know, one of the things is that, you know, it's a, it's a pressure situation. You've got all these different variables that come into play. And, you know, it has to, you have to think about, you know, what's the ultimate outcome. And, you know, when, when you're looking at stuff, especially early in a game, um, I, I can understand that where you might look at these and say, oh, you know, these outcomes aren't there. One of the things that I, I think has always been beneficial in other sports is that you've got these giant sample sizes. Um, you know, baseball's a bazillion games. Uh, every player gets a bazillion at-bats, and they see a billion pitches. Every pitcher throws a billion pitches. In basketball, players get X amount of minutes. They play 82 games a year. Um, you get a lot of shots. You get a lot of different... Uh, you know, you're only dealing with five players, so you don't have a lot of different lineups that you really have to worry about. Um, you know, you, you can really, really um, focus on certain combinations. And a lot of those players are very consistent year over year. There does come a point in time where they begin to lose it, um, but it's pretty consistent year over year. In football, you don't have that. Um, you know, football, a lot of what, guys you're even playing for is just to make a second contract and then you don't even know how things are going to go when they get that second contract that's still a worry for a lot of teams what's going to happen when they make that kind of money you know the money is good as a rookie um you know but if you were not a top say 10 pick it's not crazy great and what's going to happen when they get paid that kind of money knowing that you know the careers are short now you've made it, you've locked in your next two-year payment, three-year payment, whatever that full guarantee is on the deal, um, you know, or whatever, if you got a really good structure on it, what those first couple of years are on the contract, you know, you, you just don't know how people are going to react. Um, so you, you don't see the stability year over year in a lot of the players. And that makes it hard, I think, sometimes to trust um, you know, a lot of the stuff, um, just because of that, you know, you, you, you don't have that. So a lot of the stuff is based on things where, you know, you're looking at, um, overall trends, you know, if you want to get sample size, well, you're going to look at the, the league as a whole. 
and you you can you can get into the nitty gritty on a specific team, but again, things are probably going to change year over year. You know, you use the betting markets to try to give you an idea as to you know the quality of the teams. You know where where you're going to get comparable game scripts that maybe are going to come out from these things. Um, you know, and when you get into these these different models of stuff, I think part of the issue is that we. we you kind of broadcast the stuff. This is, um, it's probably something that as a community, uh, when it comes to, you know, I'll just talk in my lane, you know, talking contracts or talking draft um, <laughs> stuff. Uh, you know, you you don't want to come across as this is the only way. And sometimes we do. Um, you try not to. And sometimes you don't, but people take it that way anyway. You know, you can try to justify your position. Like I did this by Twitter thing was all filled with Brees Hall and uh, Elijah Vera Tucker discussion because, you know, I was didn't think those are, are good decisions. And I still don't think those are good decisions, um, you know, to make those moves. And you have the data to back it up. So, you know, people bring up the AVT one. And that's the one that uh, I think I put more information on. Which was basically like, when you're buying in at that, I'm giving you what it has to be to be considered a successful trade. He has to be the best guard in the NFL. Maybe he will be. You know, and I said, if you you go back and you evaluate these trades, now I, I don't remember the numbers off the top of my head, but it's probably something like 20 to 25% of the time, it's going to work out for the team that jumps up. Um, maybe another... 30 to 40% of the time, it's going to be uh, even, you know, you don't really regret it. You don't care. And then the rest of the time, it's going to be bad and, you know, you, you're going to lose out and that that's a process thing. And, you know, the, I saw somebody on my timeline put a quote today where they were like, how did you know Brees Hall was going to be so special? Um, you know, and they were like, well, just watch him. It's like, see, you're an idiot because, you know, trading up for running back, not the smartest thing in the world. And it's like, okay, and w- what does that even mean? Like, uh, just watch him. These are the same guys that drafted a guy who can't ever get on the field because he's always hurt. Same guys that drafted Denzel Mims. It, it's, we get overconfident in our ability to pinpoint and draft players. You know, the Falcons traded up a fortune to get Julio Jones. That trade worked out for the Atlanta Falcons. The next year, the the Bills go and basically do the same trade for Sammy Watkins, and given what they gave up, you know, he's a bust. Um, you know, and it's not like the Falcons were infallible in the draft. They made bad trades at other times, um, you know, when they were looking for players. You know, look, look at my Jets. They had a, a nice run of draft picks. You know, in 2006, you uh, select Nick Mangold. He's terrific. Um, to Brickashaw Ferguson's fine. You know, he, he's a really good player. He was drafted high, so I, I don't know if that would be as much of a standout. Um, 2007, uh, I think, was the year that they they get David Harris, who's a you know was a nice find at linebacker, and they make the trade up and they get Darrell Revis, who's like the best cornerback of that generation. This is the same organization, the same general manager, the same front office that selected Vernon Golston 
who's probably the worst draft pick in modern history outside of, uh, you know, maybe someone like a Jamarcus Russell, uh, Josh Rosen. Like if you if you take quarterbacks out of the equation, he might be the worst positional player to be drafted. In like the last 20 years. Quinton Copels, you know, terrible. Stephen Hill, you know, you can go up and down the list of players they selected. How can the guys who were so right about Darrell Revis be so wrong about Vernon Golston? You know, and that's why it's kind of funny. You know, it's like, well, you know, said, well, we'll wait till you see Brees Hall and you'll see. Um, you know, it's one of those things, you know, what would they have said about Denzel Mims? Now, wait till you see him play. Well, good luck seeing it. He's inactive every week. But the point is we say those things and the point isn't to say, you know, never do it. You know, I'll give you situations where they should do it. I said, well, you know, if the, if the Jets thought they were that close, and you really think that running back is the missing piece, go ahead and do it. You know, but when you're a rebuilding team, you know, you're looking to, again, where you get into the concept of winning, you're looking to build the most pieces around winning. And usually, you know, filling a running back void is a pretty simple one. You know, it's not that difficult. You know, you hope he's good. You hope he has a good career. And obviously he had a great week. Um. You know, but but the point is you're trying to use, you know, all that history that you have in the draft to your advantage, um, you know, for for when you select. Don't necessarily be overconfident all the time in what you do. That's that's just the point of it. And the same thing really applies to, to when you're getting into these analytics discussions. But I get it. I get where... Um, you know, when we go on Twitter and so, well, that's the wrong decision. That that one's definitely wrong. Or, you know, we we calculate this as the the ninety seven percent probability of the game is going to end. You know, now that it's going to end in a loss, and you know, all, all those different things. And I, I think the point of it is that when you get into these models and you get into playing against them and trying to flip it, which is when everybody brings it up, right? That with the exception of the Jets Browns ones, everyone knew that that was just ridiculous. Um, but for the most part, you know, when someone will come out there and be like, well, we calculated they had a 98% chance of winning at that point in the game. And, um, you know, they found a way to lose the game. Uh, here's what happened. But a lot of times, what you want to do if you're the opposing team in those situations is you need to flip the script, right? These models are based primarily, I would imagine, on older game data. And I would think most of the stuff, maybe not all, but a lot of it probably doesn't even take into account a little bit more of the advent of uh, teams going forward on fourth down. So let, let's just say that this was built from 2015 to 2019, where you, you get into certain kind of decisions and that kind of stuff. In 2020, I believe is when it was that you started to see the fourth down opportunities tick up. And, you know, that that's going to change... Uh, probably outcomes. And I would imagine over time, these models will factor that in and, uh, you know, you'll adjust accordingly. But again, if you're one of these teams that's trying to flip the script, well, that's what you want to look at this stuff for. Because if this model's telling me right off the bat that my team has a 75% chance of losing, right? I'm, big, I'm a seven and a half point underdog or something like that. Well, what's the reason why most of those teams probably always lose? 
one is obviously there's a talent gap, but the secondary reason is probably because most go into it with the same kind of attitude. You go into the, well, you know, we got to be really careful with the football. We want to make sure we don't make too many mistakes where we need to ground that, uh, ground that ball down and, uh, you know, keep that ball away from their offense by, you know, really winning the time of possession. And, you know, we really want to get into these punting battles and we're going to put the game in the hands of our defense and, uh, you know, we're just going to try to keep it close. So we've got a chance at the end and that doesn't really make any sense. It's like, that's why 75% of the time you lose. So you want to go out there and maybe you want to play a little bit more wide open, catch them off guard, play a more aggressive style of football where your, your aim is to basically score a bunch of points. Um, your aim is to go out there and be a team that's completely different from other teams that typically are you know, underdogs by more than a touchdown. You know, and maybe you catch them off guard. Maybe you catch them napping. Maybe you catch them expecting something completely different. And maybe you just end up sucking and you lose by 45 points. Lose by 45, lose by 14. It's the same thing. You know, it, if you want to go in there and you want to deal with the, the slow drip torture of losing a game with no chance of winning versus the, you know, the other outcome, uh, you know, be my guest. But, you know, the, the, you're giving yourself no chance to win. And th that, to me, that's always the purpose of these things. It's, it's to try to, to figure out what do I have to do to make a game better? It's, it's like the decisions where you'll see the team, they're down 10, you know, fourth quarter, and fourth down and two. And you'll hear the TV announcer go, well, you got to take the, you got to extend this game. You got to take those points. Get it down to a one-score game. Defense makes a stop, you get the ball back, and you got a chance to tie that game and take it to overtime. You only need two yards. You know, if you get that field goal, you're giving them the ball at the 20. So they're not backed up. They don't have to worry about a safety or anything like that. You know, that would also make it a one-score game. Um, they're not as worried on the turnovers. And you're probably going to face on the next drive, assuming it's the last drive, you're probably going to face a situation where you're deeper in your own territory and it's like fourth and six. And if you don't convert that fourth and six, that's probably game over. Either time runs out or now you're giving them an extra three. And so now there's a bunch of time off the clock and the margin's back to 10. But somehow that doesn't get thought out <laughs> when the decisions get made. It's like, oh, well, they lost the game right there. No, you didn't lose the game. You gave yourself the most chance to win. And, you know, I, I think, I don't know, I, I don't know what the best way is to have that discussion, um, but it's a, it's a discussion that needs to happen. It's a discussion that has to happen during football broadcasts, you know, explaining why someone is making a decision, even though it goes away from the norms. But I do think that teams have to get more aggressive overall with the fourth downs. And th this is the thing that we're missing. The fourth down decisions are allowed to be analyzed in a lot of a lot of cases as do or die situations because they don't happen until late in games where there's a scoring opportunity. Now, fourth and one calls are up overall, so you, you do see more more of that that happens in other parts of the field. But by and large, most of the the focus on it ends up coming late in games with fourth down decisions. 
And it's very easy to look at those decisions and just very quickly pitch and hold good decision, bad decision based on, you know, what the outcome of the game is. Um, you know, did you have to sweat it out? You know, the Chargers one is a, well, they had to sweat it out because they were able to get a field goal attempt, even though they would have gotten that same field goal attempt probably if they started with the ball in the 20. Um, but, you know, getting back to the concept of playing away from the norms to where these, you're just kind of breaking the model. Um, you've got to be willing to go more often because for these decisions to balance out, you're not going to make the fourth downs all the time. But if you do have a number of fourth and manageable, let, let's call everything fourth and three. If you have a lot of those decisions that you can make, and let's say a lot of those decisions happen between the 40s, you know, or between the, your 40 and their 30 or their 20 or something like that, odds are you're going to win more games. You're going to score more points. And there's going to be more data that people, I think, can rely on or watch and understand to where you start to get a, a full slate of these reactions to where it's not just do or die. You're making it more. It's not going to be the extent of baseball. It's not going to be the extent of basketball. But you're making it to where in a game, if you have a couple of these spots that come up, you know, you, you, you're making something that people can see and can see the outcomes of versus just one decision where it becomes very easy to be yes, no, stupid, brilliant, um, you know, kind of stuff. And I, I think to that end, you know, I, this was something I mentioned during the Jets game. It drove me a little bit nuts. I was glad the Jets went for it on a fourth down. It was a fourth and one. I think it was a fourth and one at least. And I did not understand the play call. So the Jets have third and one and you know, the, the Jets on third and one just basically try a regular play. Fourth and one, you know, they, they you know, go out there and it's just like, well, no threat of run. We're just going to go five wide and, you know, leave it up to Wilson and they, they don't convert. And the thing is, once you get it in your mind that you're going to play four downs, the traditional way of playing should change. It shouldn't be the concept of, okay, well, first down, we got to make sure we get this many yards. Second down, we got to get this many yards. We've got to get to a third and manageable. It's got to be third and three. No, your goal should be to get to fourth and three, fourth and two. You know, if you have a really crappy quarterback and you're willing to, to buy into your running game, and everybody wants to love the running game, you know, the old school football, that approach probably even has more of a chance of being successful if you're going four downs. If you're going to run four times in a row, you've probably got a better shot at picking up a first down than you're going to do running that same style offense where you're going to go run, run, and then have to pass on third and long or something like that. You know, those defenses, until they adjust to it, you know, defenses are going to play you on third down. Even if you have third and 10, they'll give you nine yards. They'll give you eight yards. And now you're going to come in there and you're going to say, well, we're going to go for it on fourth down. They will convert that close to 50% of the time. And then we'll keep our drives going. Then eventually that's going to soften them up on some of those third and long defenses because they're going to have to honor the field because you know you're playing for four downs. But that was what I didn't like with the Jets because if you have third and one, that situation should be the same as second and one. 
which means you've got like a great opportunity, you know, to use your play action, maybe even go deep on the play, you know, get a get a big pickup because they're expecting something completely different because they, they're just assuming do or die, you're just going to run into the line and, you know, you, you're just going to try to power it through. So you go out there and you can run play action knowing this isn't your last play. So when you've already made that decision that where you are on the field is fourth down territory, you know, the Jets should have been playing that completely different. And that goes for a lot of teams. That one just kind of was something that I mentioned during the course of the game. But, you know, you, you have to optimize what you're doing on offense to make those fourth downs, I think, more meaningful. And the more that you see it and the more that teams will do it, the more that you, you will have um, you'll have the ability to, to have, um, you know, the bigger media people or the announcers on these games start to kind of see it in action and I think get a better understanding for what they're doing. You know, when you start having a couple of drives that end in points, it's not going to be as questionable that you're making a decision to bypass a, a 15 or 20 yard punt, you know, for, for trying to get a kill shot on fourth down. You know, more understanding maybe of why you're going for it on fourth and goal. But I, I think that's something that more and more teams have to embrace is you know, the, these concepts of these charts that are telling you these are ghost situations. And some of the stuff I probably just intuitively wouldn't agree with. You know, I, inside my own 20, I'd probably be risk averse too. You know, because I'm just going to give them three points. And I don't know if I'm going to, if that, if extending my drive at that location, I know there's going to be data on it. I I don't know. Maybe I'm just neutered from watching so much New York sports. Uh, that my team has the ability to still sustain a drive that's going to go another 80 yards. Um, you know, but you talk about having confidence in your defense, and then the minute you turn the ball over and say, okay, defense, hold them to a field goal. Okay, defense, you know, get me a three and out. It's like, oh, I can't believe you're putting the, the ball like that there. You're making it so much easier for them. You know, it's like we, we just go back and forth with the these ways that we look at it. But I really wish that uh, that teams would do that. But I do think we do have to acknowledge um, differences in, you know, the, those types of models that you do. No different than the stuff where I'll talk about with the draft or you talk about with free agency, um, you know, where, where you, you discuss the, the concepts of, you know, drafting certain positions because they're not available in free agency and bypassing others because they are available. And again, your goal is to build the best team possible. Um, you know, just using the, the Jets example, um, you know, if I can draft a guard, you know, and let, let's say he's going to be the best guard in the NFL. I'm convinced he's going to be Quentin Nelson on the Colts. But at the same time, I also had an opportunity to draft a quarterback. Now, th th this one probably wouldn't happen. But I had a, a, an opportunity to draft a quarterback, but the quarterback is probably going to be lesser. All right, so let's say my opportunity to draft a quarterback instead of resulting in the Quentin Nelson type is going to result in... 
I don't know, who would be like a, a mid-grade? Uh, I mean, I'm just trying to think of what would be a, a fair kind of comparison at quarterback. Derek Carr? Yeah, Derek Carr was a second-round pick. Um, someone like that. Let, let's say someone who has a career like a Derek Carr or Kirk Cousins. Um, for as much as I might criticize those players, uh, you know, and you, you look at those players as being limited upside guys, if they were on rookie deals, um, you know, what gives you the better opportunity to win? Uh, Quentin Nelson and whatever garbage a team like the Colts are putting out there at quarterback right now, because that's what's available in free agency. Or, you know, having Kirk Cousins and then being able to go into free agency and purchase, because I got the cheap quarterback now, um, you know, be able to purchase someone like a uh, Joe Tooney or um, Brandon Scherf, I think was the, the highest paid this year. Like what, what situation is better? And sometimes it might be getting the guy who's not necessarily as highly graded, um, but plays a, a position that, that's harder to fill because you don't have another opportunity to get to that position. You know, or it'll cost you a fortune, you know, to, to trade into a Russell Wilson and then you, you do the dumb thing and you extend him before he ever plays it down for you. And that, that's looking like the worst contract in the NFL right now. Better hope that that injury is uh, legitimate. Like the, it's a real injury injury um, for him. But, you know, that, that's, that's kind of the way that you, you have to look at these things. But, you know, if more quarterbacks were to become available, let's say more pass rushers were to become available in free agency, let's say that offenses change to where a guard does become like a high-demand position that's hard to fill, well, that has to change your outlook when you look at these trades, you know, in a draft, that that changes the potential outcomes of it. You have to adjust with that. You're not going to, it's not probably going to adjust the, the valuation on the, on the, the pick. Um, but it can change the valuation that you, you give the player that was selected with that pick. And I think the same holds true with all these other different models and probabilities and everything else that you look at. It's got to be kind of a, a living, breathing document. You know, it, it looks at the past and we have to assume that the people are going to look at the past and they're going to adjust accordingly because as they get, get that information from the past, eventually you're going to get people that want to play more optimal football. You know, the, the one issue I had with the, the Ravens decision, which is, and it's true, this is how most teams play. You know, when if you were up three, um, you know, you're, you're inviting you know, the Bills to be very aggressive. You're going to give them four downs because they know that they have to at least get a field goal to to extend the game into overtime. And I don't want to give Josh Allen four downs. That alone should tell you right there when you have these high-powered offenses why you should be doing four downs often. Um, you know, because the other teams are petrified of it because they know a lot of times, you know, you're going to convert on those fourth downs. But the, the thing that I, I wasn't, you know hundred percent crazy about with that is in my mind, if I'm the Buffalo bills and I got Josh Allen as my quarterback, I'm going to play aggressive anyway. 
I know that the Baltimore Ravens have this great kicker. I don't want to play for a field goal, no matter what. You know, I, I don't want to, to go three and out and just be like, oh, okay, well, we're tied. I'll give the ball back to him and then watch him hit a 65-yard field goal as time expires. You know, I don't want to go down there and drive down and settle for a field goal with a minute left in the game. You know, that, that would have tied the game up or even that would put me ahead three points and then just watch Justin Tucker come down and, you know, tie that game or win that game or whatever it is on a big, long field goal. Like, that that's the thing. The, the, the way to play really there is to be aggressive, but we, we don't see it. We see teams all the time. You might have a minute left. Well, you know, we don't want to make a mistake, so we'll just play for overtime. You might not ever see the ball in overtime. You know, the only time that you control any part of the outcome is, you know, that ball is in your hand. And that ball's in your hand and you got time left and you're not playing aggressive because you're content with going to overtime. Then you're going to complain, well, you know, we uh, we didn't get a chance to hold the football and it wasn't fair and we need a rule change. And, you know, then uh, Mike Florio agrees with me, we need a rule change. And this guy agrees with me, we need a rule change and... Uh, you know, Peter King is going to have a big article about needing a rule change. It's like, you just had the ball in your hands and you played for a tie. You know, don't, don't complain about not getting a chance in overtime. You had a chance and you didn't want to use it. So, you know, I, I just think that uh, teams just need to be more aggressive overall and embrace that chance to win all the time versus losing pretty or losing not as ugly, I guess is maybe the way to put it. But, you know, it's an interesting discourse. Um, I think it's an interesting thing that comes up all the time. And, uh, you know, it's just one of those things that's kind of neat, kind of out there. And I'm just hoping that stuff changes. Um, So last week I did have an article just as a follow-up on that wide receiver stuff. It was about building a wide receiver room. You can check that out on OTC if you want. Uh, But I thought it was um, just kind of interesting to actually dig into the numbers and see how teams are actually doing or how players are doing after they do sign, you know, these big contracts. And, you know, I I wasn't surprised that, you know, your your top-level players aren't improving, you know, by a huge margin. You know, that makes sense. They they were so great you couldn't expect it but the production of those top players isn't much different from that next salary tier that really surprised me um you know you you actually have you have more players in the highest salary tier that do hit like the you know that that threshold of averaging a thousand yards a season right after they they sign a contract but it's not far behind that next level down um, just running the numbers here, 43% of players in the first two extension years uh, that signed a contract of at least $15 million a year ended up with 2,000 yards in those two, these, uh, two seasons. 36.4% of those between 10 and $15 million did. Um, but then if you, you break it down from 1,500 to 2,000 yards, it was uh, 14.3 and 22.7. So if you took a 1,500-yard season as a threshold, and you'd probably be okay with that with a player under 15, probably wouldn't like it for a player over 15, you know, those numbers actually work out to be pretty even. So I, I can understand the concept of where you you move away from the, the super high-priced receiver and 
you kind of buy into some of the lower priced players, um, hoping that you can get <coughs> some type of similar production. Um, you know, looking at the draft picks, just real quick running through the numbers here, um, you know, where you're worried about you can't replace production right off the bat. And, you know, th- this gets back to my, my discussion the other week where you're looking about, you know, investing in that position. It's diversification, really. It's drafting as many times as you can in like a four-year period. So you've always gotten evaluation. Like if I have Tyreek Hill on my team and he's belly aching about a contract, I'm just like, you know, time for me to move on. I want to at least have an idea of who I have coming behind him on my roster. Same thing, the Titans, you would have liked to have seen that with A.J. Brown. Um, you know, and you can do that by investing in your draft picks and having a pipeline that's kind of ready to come in. But, you know, I was I was actually a little surprised by these numbers. Um, about 13% of first and second round wide receivers do reach 2,000 yards in the, across their first two seasons. Um, basically the same numbers get around 1,500. So, I mean, there there's actually more productivity than I thought from some of these younger receivers. Um, you know, and anyway, I, I think that overall you can kind of use these to kind of gauge that second round is kind of a sweet spot for, um, you know, your risk reward profile on drafting players. And I, I think as long as you consistently have an influx of players every two years at the position, you probably will be in a position where you don't have to overpay certain guys to stick. There's going to be times where you want to keep the players, um, but you might be able to go franchise tag, franchise tag, and, you know, you got to deal with the contract fallout, of course. But, you know, you can go franchise tag, franchise tag, or franchise tag, tag and trade, or just trade the player um, when you know you have somebody coming behind who is already looking like he's going to be a, a star player in the league. And he can fill that void and you can do it pretty cheaply, um, you know, especially if you can go into free agency and you can get a, another player. So anyway, if you want, you can uh, you can check that out. Um, you know, on that topic as well, since I mentioned Tyree Kill, Troy had asked me a question about that. And I'll do the Q&A in just a minute. Uh, but Troy uh, sent me a link for an article from Rich Cimini, uh ESPN, where he went over all the stuff that went down with the Jets and Tyree Kill. It was a really cool article. You should check it out. Um, it's on ESPN.com somewhere. Uh, it was a really cool little article because it, it was like it was like old school beat reporting kind of stuff. You don't see that anymore because all of the stuff is always like, um, you know, it's always broken by the the biggest reporters who are national. And a lot of times they don't really get into the, the nitty gritty on some of the stuff. This one did, you know, it, this was like basically breaking down how Jets were in this for like five days, five, six days, and they were going after him and they thought they had a deal in place, that a contract worked out, um, you know, that kind of stuff. You want to get my thoughts on it because obviously he doesn't end up on the Jets. He's in Miami. It uh, look, Rich has got a long, long, long career, so I would trust a lot of the stuff um, that he says, and I'm sure that he had that information. And there's stuff like that that went down. I can tell you some of the stuff that I was told, um, whether true or not, uh, who knows? Because it wouldn't necessarily be from people within the organization. Um, the Jets were a team that was used to drive up the price. That this was a, okay, what does Tyreek Hill want? Number one, Tyreek Hill wants a contract, right? We know that. 
And the first goal for his agent, which is uh, Rosenhaus, is I need to find teams that are going to meet his price. So where am I going to go for that? The Jets make a lot of sense because the Jets have money. They'll spend it. And the Jets for years love to make a big splash. Love to do it. All right. So you knew that you could probably entice them if that was the case. Now, the part that was shocking to me was that the Jets had already done their homework thinking that he could have been a cap casualty. Now, I'm assuming by that what they meant is that he would be a trade possibility because I can't see any logical reason that they would have cut him, um, you know, without a, without a chance to trade. But I thought that was actually pretty interesting because I would not have put him there. Um, now, may, maybe that would have been my fault for not realizing that he was going to be unhappy with the contract and looking for something else. You know, I, I thought that he would be willing to play it out and, you know, would just kind of deal with it and then, you know, go into next year and refuse to plan a franchise tag kind of stuff. So I thought that was really good. And I thought that was good that the Jets had that, um, you know, that kind of stuff all planned out. But I think that's the team that you go to, you know, to get that price up there to where now you can go shop to where the other part of the equation is, where would you like to play? And now it's going to those teams and being like, you know, Tyreek's available. Um, you know, we've got another team that's, you know, they're willing to go to 25 a year, 24 a year, you know, what, whatever the numbers are. Um, you know, and I know there was some things brought up about the, the income tax. I hardly ever hear that brought up. So I, I, I don't really think that was that much of a decision um, because the Dolphins could have come in under and still been a better contract than the Jets. And I guarantee he would have taken the Jets deal probably at that point. But, um, you know, I, I think it was a situation where the Jets are your fallback, you know, or any team that they would have gotten to get up to that number. But then it was like, okay, now we're going to go to the teams you want to play for and let's see what we can do with those teams. And that was, I, I think that was kind of what went on. That, that was kind of what was insinuated, at least as to the Jets role in this Um you know, and that, that could be completely wrong on my part. Uh, you know, Tyreek Hill did make comments like, eh, come on, I'm never interested in the Jets. Like, he did make those comments. And uh, I think it was uh, John Franklin Myers who basically said that rubbed us the wrong way. And uh, they plowed into him pretty good when he tried to make a tackle. That was kind of funny. Um, but, yeah, you know, it's a, um, it, it's a look, even if that's not what happened, even if what happened is the way everything went down that at the last minute, you know, Miami gets into it and they match contract and they were like, Oh, well, you know, the income tax is better here and you know, blah, 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 blah. Um, you know, let, let's just, let's just say that, uh, even that's how it went down. Um, you know, that, that's a good job by Rosenhaus. Um, you know, to, to be able to leverage that kind of all the way around, um, you know, to, to get that type of deal. But I had heard a little bit differently as to really what went down there. Um, but I do think if, if the Dolphins or any other team was not, you know, in the ballpark on the salary, I think he would have uh, ended up with the Jets. I think that that is probably the case. But I, I think the role of the Jets in that was to get the ball rolling on the money and, uh, you know, kind of go from there. I think that's the, uh, I think that's kind of the crux of, of what went down. 
Uh, all right, let's get into the questions that I got here. I may have had a question from last week. Let me see if I can pull it up. All right, I think this is the one I saw. I never opened it. Uh, it's probably this. So this is from Jared. Um, let's see. How does it work when players represent themselves and want to be traded? For example, uh, Roquan Smith, are they allowed to contact GMs directly even during the season as the trade deadline approaches? No, no, no. Even if you have an agent, your agent is not authorized to go talk to other teams. Roquan Smith even got in trouble for that. They, Somebody that was basically saying, I'm part of his team, um, was going to other teams and saying, hey, you want to trade for him? And the Bears did not give permission to do that. You have to have permission from a team to have somebody talk to another team. And basically, even if you're not going to be represented, you'll have someone that can can talk on your behalf, um, you know, open those channels of communication, basically. Uh, but that that's how that would work um, with that. But that you can't just do that. Also, do players need any sort of qualifications or certifications to represent themselves? Or do they simply just let the PA know that's how they'll be proceeding? Yeah, I think that's how it works. If you want to rep yourself, you rep yourself. They're, the job of the Players Association is to have a process that basically tells the players, okay, these agents are certified, that they they have um, the requisite knowledge to represent a football player. Um, they carry insurance and... You know, you can uh, you can trust them to represent you. They might not be the best of the best, but you can trust them to negotiate. They have the skills necessary to negotiate an NFL contract. But, uh, you know, if you want to represent yourself, that's you're right. Cameron, if you were the GM of the Eagles, would you invest top seven quarterback money in Jalen Hurts in the offseason or attempt to trade him and draft the cheaper replacement with all those traded assets? Uh is it better to invest in an expensive known or swing for the cheap or unknown? That's a really good question. Uh, seems like the Ravens, Chargers, and Dolphins are in the same boat. It, it's a it's a real good question. Um, you know, I had talked about this, written about it probably many, many years ago. When the draft slotting changed and the prices got cheap, and obviously you have to be in a position to do it, but I almost thought that the the logical step of building a roster was until you got into the elite quarterback, and there's very few players who are elite. Um, right now, your elite quarterbacks are Allen, Mahomes. Um, Lamar Jackson is different, but I, I think you would put him in that in that category. Um who else are your elite guys? That's probably it. I'm just quickly looking at the teams here. Um, just making sure I'm not forgetting anybody. Yeah, I think those are your elite quarterbacks, and that's it. Um, now, at times, you know, Rodgers has been there, Brady, you know, obviously, but they're they're, they're towards the end of their careers. Um. I think unless you have that truly elite quarterback, which is going to be near impossible to find, it makes more sense to continue to just draft and develop the quarterback position 
And rather than get into those mid-grade quarterbacks at expensive salaries, you know, the um, uh, Kyler Murray at 48, uh, Russell Wilson now at like 49 or 48, what's what's he at? 49, Murray's at 46, um, you know, Derek Carr at 40, Stafford at 40, Prescott at 40, Cousins at 35. You know, in, instead of getting in on those players, <coughs> At those prices, um, you know, you're better off having somebody that comes in. And quite frankly, the Eagles are the best example of this. Now, the Eagles bought into Carson Wentz at 33, uh, 33 or 32, at a time when the market was 35. So it would be the equivalent right now of a quarterback coming in at like $48 million a year, $47 million a year. And... They real I whether they realized it was a mistake or not, who knows? But they eventually went and they said, "Okay, well, let's just draft an insurance policy." Jalen Hurts. Now, imagine if Hurts had been drafted, or a player like Hurts was drafted a couple years before. Well, the Eagles would have been in a position where they could have taken Carson Wentz, they could have packaged him up in a trade, probably gotten two first round picks for him at the time, maybe even three. Um, traded him off, gotten all those assets, and you would have had Jalen Hurts on your roster, and you, know, you would have said, okay, let's see how this kid can play. And in the meantime, you would have had all those other draft picks, and you know maybe you could have selected another quarterback as insurance in case Jalen Hurts sucked. If you look at a lot of these teams that are successful in the league, they're successful with rookie quarterbacks. They're successful with contracts. When the, when the players are contracted as rookies, and maybe on the front end of an extension where those cap hits are still low. But then after that, it's almost like it becomes a crutch. You know, I I always go back to that Ryan Grigson thing. Well, you know, we had money to spend, but, you know, now we got a quarterback we're paying all this money to. And I, I think from an organizational standpoint, I think that happens a lot where you even get pressure from the owner. It's like, you got a $45 million quarterback. What more do you need? And when you have that same quarterback who's costing you five or six million dollars, you got a lot of money to spend somewhere else to improve your football team overall. And uh, I think that's kind of what happens. And sometimes I think you try to surround those young quarterbacks with overall talent uh, versus when you get the established mid-grade guy, you know, your Derek Carrs, you start to pigeonhole. Well, I need a receiver. Okay, well, I'll go spend you know, 25 and give away a draft pick on a receiver. Well, you know, we, we need this particular position and you end up just going overboard on that. And, um, you know, I think it's an interesting decision by the Eagles. Um, now I will say this, if the Eagles are going to extend him, I'd probably do it after this year. Um, only because you're, you're looking to get in, um, you know, I, I think before you get that spike in the cap and that, you know, known spike in the uh, the money to where that's probably going to impact what uh, agents start asking for. So I, I think in that respect, you know, they're, they're probably better off. And that, that does kind of follow their model. But I, I've kind of been against that for quarterbacks because so many quarterbacks are flaming out these days that are supposedly going to be wonderful. Um, but it, it's a real interesting question. But the thing is, you have to be proactive if this is what you want to do. Um, and by being proactive, I mean, 
you know, it, it, other teams that you mentioned, like Miami and the Chargers, and I don't agree with the Ravens one, but, you know, the Ravens, you know, this goes back to when there were questions about the Chargers and Dak Prescott. Dallas didn't really have anybody on the roster. Uh, now, Rush was, he might have been on the roster. I don't, I don't even remember. Um, but they didn't really have anybody. You know, and they, they wouldn't have seen him. You know, he would have been late pick, maybe the year he was tagged or something. It's like, you've got to have that in place. Now, if you want to believe that your quarterback's always going to have value, like Carson Wentz did, you might be able to also do an extension that delays the bigger money. Um, you know, it gives it, you don't mind the guarantee part of it. You can hopefully always find someone to trade for that player. So I think what you would learn from the Carson Wentz one is find a little bit more happy medium so you're not paying him as much across the existing contract years. Um, now, in this case, it's only one year, um, you know, because Hertz is a second round pick. So it would only be a raise over next year. But, you know, don't give him like a $70 million signing bonus or a $50 million signing bonus. Like do a $20 million signing bonus, you know, $15 million signing bonus, do an option bonus or something the next year in the summer. And that gives you a lot of time to potentially trade him if things don't go as well as you had hoped. So I, I think there's some strategies that teams can use for that. But I think for the most part, like I was saying with the receivers every couple of years, every now and then you've got to take a shot at a quarterback in those first like two rounds, probably in the first round of the draft, even if you don't think you need one. Um, because the the return you're going to get on those players, the the overall return, again, when it comes down wins, losses, it's going to probably be higher with the cheap quarterback, even if the downside risk might be more. Because for a lot of these teams, you know, again, I'm just going to look at these kind of middle grade quarterbacks. You know, Derek Carr, the return's been low. Matt Stafford, they did win the Super Bowl last year, but in Detroit, the return was not good. Right now, it's not good this year for the Rams. Prescott, the return really hasn't been anything in Dallas. Kirk Cousins, not really anything in Minnesota. Jared Goff, nope. Carson Wentz, nope. Um, Matt Ryan's a lot older at this point. He was elite-level quarterback at some point. Um, you know, Tannehill's on a more affordable deal. But, uh, you know, you, you, you run through this list. You know, and you look historically, those mid-grade quarterbacks just haven't gotten it done, especially once they get on those contracts. You know, the the playoff appearances that happen in those third and fourth years or second and third years vanish the minute they're making top money and you start, you know, pinching corners on the rest of your roster. So I don't expect teams to do this. But I, I think it's the optimum play is to constantly have guys that you're evaluating um, so you can trade your starter who's decent away because you'll get a lot for him and you turn the reins over to a younger guy and you try to use those um, assets that you get in the trade to you know take your next shot at finding a star player and at the very least matching the performance of the mid, mid-level, mid maybe even the upper-level starter, but at a $40 million a year discount. Dave, uh, let's see. Oh, this is a long email. Let's see. Uh, I wrote you before on strategy surrounding both Burrow and Herbert's upcoming contract extension, both more or less in lockstep. Unless those teams ready to legitimately blow away the current market, makes the most sense for both of them uh, to take the tag. Um, 
After the season, both quarterbacks are extension eligible. If I were representing them, I would tell the teams I'm ready and willing to work on extension for my clients with a non-negotiable starting point of teams declining to pick up the fifth-year option on the rookie contract. Uh, as you know, although the fifth-year um, option is a big pay raise over the rookie wage, um, team can find plenty of benefits here from having three consecutive years between... Um, You can you could do that. Teams won't. Um, you know th this is where the concept of the the new money negotiation comes into play, and what the teams are doing to leverage the situations is that, and this is one of the reasons why they don't open contract talks in January, February, March, April. They kind of want to let that option kind of sink in, like you're our property, and that tag is going to be open. So you can approach them about it, but I, I don't think that will ever um, ever be something that a team would accept as like a like a trade off, um, you know, for doing it. I, I don't I don't believe they would. Um, you know, it, it's a it, it's a it's just an interesting thing. It's it's. You know, you pick up an option. Once the option's picked up, really, the player should have no willingness to negotiate an extension anyway until any other deals are done in the summer. Um, so, you know, I don't know. I mean, you, you could bring it up, but I, I just don't think any team is going to go for that. All right, let's see if we got anything on Twitter here. And then we'll wrap this one up. Okay, let's see. Okay, Daniel, uh, what realistic moves can the Cowboys make with Zeke to free up cap space? Is he tradable? No. Uh, would it be more likely to buy him out over the summer? So you don't have to buy, you don't owe him any more guaranteed money. Um, I think the path that you're going to see Dallas take, I don't think they're going to want to cut him. Uh, I think what they'll do is he does carry a big number if you release him still. It's, um, oh, let me see. What is it? Whoops. Let me see Ezekiel Elliott's page. Um, so next year, if you release him, the dead money is 11.86. He's a 16.72 cap number. Um, so the June one probably doesn't come into play unless he really wants to play ball in the contract, which I don't see. So I think the logical step is to take his salary down. His salary next year is uh, ten point nine million, and probably pay him something like five, with a chance and incentives to make up, you know, five million. Um, you know that that would reduce his cap hit, you know, down to uh, eleven point seven, give or take a little bit. Um, you know, depending on how those numbers work out, and then when you would release him the following year. Uh, you would only be responsible on the cap for about $6 million. So yeah, you're delaying the pain, but I don't know. I don't think they're going to want to cut him. Um, so I think that's probably the better path to do. And the reason I say, I don't think they're going to want to cut him is just, I think the owner loves him. And I think that plays a role. 
you know, if if this was just football talking, um, yeah, he'd be gone next year. I'm not 100% sure he'll be gone. Evan, assuming Brady leaves the Bucks after the year, what major cuts trade should the Bucks make to hit the reset button on the franchise? Hope they don't try to continue on with the roster. Um, yeah, they're, they're in a they're in a bad spot. Uh, if you look forward at them and you assume that Brady's out, and you know Brady has not looked anything remotely like Tom Brady this year. Um, whether it's him getting divorced or whatever it is, uh, you know, he hasn't looked good. You know, I, I think you've got so many. So David's ex, uh, contract expires. Brady's does. Now, what they will do with Brady is if he is going to retire, they'll get him to do like a, a post-June 1. Um, even if, they, even if they're going to cut him, um, you know, I think they would say, look, we need to hold on to you until June 2nd. Just hold off on signing with another team. They could do that. Um, you know, I think you have to look at trading Mike Evans. I think you can get a lot still for him. Uh, it's a lot of dead money, um, you know, still there. But, I mean, you're looking at restocking shelves here. Um, but really, I mean, you look at this roster There's not much they can do. This is not, you know, they're 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 not in good shape. Um, you know, with the with anything related to the cap, they're just not. You know, you, you look at the you look at the money on these guys to trade people. Um, you know, Donovan Smith, you'd open up nine point nine. Now you don't have a left tackle. Um, Mike Evans. You'd only open up two point three. You'd have twenty one million dead. Um, you know, Devin White. You know that's that's an option. Shaq Barrett. You'd have twenty three dead. Um, Davis six dead. Russell Gage would be four and a half dead. Chris Godwin sixteen. You you don't really have a lot of wiggle room with these guys. You know they're 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 kind of locked in on this roster. So I mean, you you're. Probably if Brady does not want to come back, God, you're going to come back next year with Carson Wentz as your quarterback or Jared Goff or something like that. That That's probably what you're looking at. Maybe Garoppolo. Maybe Jimmy Garoppolo ends up in Tampa Bay. Um, you know, that that that's that's the kind of look that you are. I, there's not really a way for them to, that I'm seeing now, I'm just doing a quick glance I don't look at this and say, oh, this is a great, you know, this is a situation where they can move on and rebuild. I mean, this looks like a locked-in roster. Justin, I'm sure this is a basic question, but assuming you have a top-five quarterback salary on your team, how many more highly paid players can you have on your team in any given year that won't destroy your future cap years and allow you to be flexible yearly? Um, so you can have a couple, and we're, we're learning more and more about that as more and more teams go with the high-priced quarterback with a high-priced wide receiver and a high price defensive end uh in general what we found when doing these is that once a team signs a high-priced quarterback um over the long term they basically forego having at least one other player on the roster that's going to earn between 10 and 15 million dollars a year over a like a longer um longer period of time like i said you you can always fit somebody in for one season uh, but what you will see is 
they will probably have to um, move away from one or two of those like mid-high price guys and focus on rookie development and uh, you know a couple lower level veterans to fill those voids. That that seems to be over the long term the way the rosters shake out. Connor, an intriguing free agent running back group is available next year. What do you think the top guys will get? And what do you think a smart team should pay? Um, no team should pay more than like five million bucks for a running back. That's just my rule of thumb. Uh, I can see Saquon Barkley getting more than that. I, I can understand if some team paid him more, but I wouldn't pay him more than like the Aaron Jones deal, you know, like 10 million, 11 million bucks a season. Um, you know, it's just such a replaceable position and guys break down, uh, you know, for as good as Barkley's been this year, the odds are probably that he's going to get hurt. Um, you know, but that that that's going to be your top free agent um, next year. Uh, you know, you mentioned James Robinson. I don't know if the Jaguars are going to want to keep him. I don't know if he's going to fit with what they do. Um, they wouldn't pay him much. You know, I, I would think, unless there is a big disconnect somewhere, um, you know, the, the coach did come from a system uh, in Philadelphia where it was basically, you know, running backs clearly don't matter. And it's like super cheap running backs all the time. And, you know, you just get a, a collection of guys and you, you know, you, you play this one for a little while, that one for a little while, and another one. So... Uh, I don't know if they would really pay much, but I, a couple million bucks, that's probably it. When can the Broncos cut Wilson without significant uh, dead cap? And what is the contract like for uh, Goff and Geno in 2023? So, yeah, the, the Wilson deal, you're, you're it's basically screwed. Uh, so, Russell Wilson, just to give you an idea, um, if the Broncos cut him next year, the dead cap on that would be $107 million, I believe, unless I have something mistaken um, with my understanding of the option and what's guaranteed. Um, his 2024 salary is already guaranteed, so you're looking at $85 million to cut. In 2024, his 2025 salary is guaranteed, so in 2025... Um, you'd probably be looking at about $87 million in dead money. Um, you know, if I'm doing my math correctly. So, you know, that, that's probably what it would be. So 2026 is your year you can move on 31.3 million dead. Um, they, they need him to get healthy in a hurry. I didn't understand the timing on that deal. It made no sense. If you're not going to extend him right when you trade him, why would you extend him? without even seeing him play for that kind of money just doesn't make sense. Um, Gino Smith. Let's see. Gino Smith. I think he's a free agent next year. Yeah. So he's a free agent next year. Um, so, you know, at the very least he's going to get franchise tagged. I would think, um, is what will happen there. All right, Colin says, is it possible to update your draft value chart using salary data from 2019 by multiplying everything by 1.3? That would make pick 1.1 worth about 19 if you thought of more about updating the chart by position, as you mentioned. Uh, so we kind of did that in the book. Um, so if you follow, I think we put a chart in the book. Uh, I don't even remember. 
If not, I might have one online somewhere about it. Uh, I'll have to look. But basically, when I did those, really what you're doing is you're, you're coming up with percentages for every single position. And, you know, those those percentages can be universally applied based on the the average value of the top, you know, five players at any given position. And that can give you really what your return is expected to be based on the position that you purchase, uh, that you, you draft. But, excuse me, on the um, other end of the spectrum, you know, you can do this the same thing with, if you take that chart with those salaries there, you could probably add them together. And I would guess that if you divided them up, that would give you the percentages that I used back then, um, you know, to do that. And then you could just get a, you know, just a random pick uh, average salary and say, okay, this is what it would be worth. All right, let's take a look here. Um, a couple more. Black gold on a scale of one to Zeke Elliott. How stuck are the Broncos with Russ? So as I just went over, they're they're in Zeke Elliott territory. They're at like ten Zeeks. Steve, what's up with the epidemic of poor offensive line play? Which offensive line will be free agents at the end of the year? Uh, I have a feeling that the reason for bad offensive line pay play probably has to do more with bad quarterback play. Um, you know, the quarterbacks I think have been pretty mediocre this year and that probably trends a lot with, um, uh, with that, uh, in terms of linemen available, gosh, off the top of my head, I don't really know. Uh, let's take a look. All right. So you've got, Oh, Ben Powers, Jake Prennell, um, seeing young guys. McGovern from the Jets. Um, who are young guys? Yeah, I, I'd, I'd have to look a little bit closer. There's not. And nothing's jumping off it. And I'm sure there's a couple of good players, you know, Orlando Brown. Um, yeah, I forgot he's on the tag this year. Um, you know, I, I'd have to look a little closer um, and I'd have to look at our values and stuff like that. I, I don't have them in front of me. And, um, you know, so I'm not sure. So may, maybe next week I'll try to do a little bit more on that. Uh, Trevor, Tremaine Edmonds, does he get paid by the bills? What's his projected contract? Uh, so he's going to get paid over 15 a year, I would imagine. Um, I don't think it'll be by the Bills. I, I think that's going to be a situation where, you know, the Bills have to start to make some tough decisions. The numbers are going up for Allen at this point now. That you know, they're you're past the honeymoon phase with that contract, and um, you know, you you've got some other big deals obviously on that team. So, if I was betting on it, I, I would guess he would be elsewhere, but. You know, you, you never know. Uh, teams change their mind. And they, they, they might make decisions to move on from some other players and do that. Uh, Ricker, has anything changed regarding how you would handle Barkley and Jones' futures in New York since the beginning of the season? No, I don't think so. Um, there's nothing I would do that would make me buy into Daniel Jones at anything more than a couple of dollars. I'd still be probably negative on Barkley. But like I said, I, I can understand if a team does like 10 or 11, um, you know, for him. I, I wouldn't be against keeping Barkley. I mean, just, just even from a business standpoint, um, you know, Barkley's going to move jerseys. 
He's going to be someone that you can um, sell as, you know, being a star next year to try to sell tickets. You know, this is assuming he doesn't get hurt at all this year. Um, you know, and th there's value to that, even if, um, you know, on the field it becomes an issue um, somewhere down the line. But not really. You know, I, I think if it was up to me, I, I'm probably just looking to start over everywhere. Um, but, you know, I... Still wait and see. There's still a lot of a lot of football to be played. Maybe Jones really gets a lot better. Uh, Rob, what scenario will we need to see for a team to offer a quarterback they drafted a fully guaranteed deal? Um, I think they'd have to get through two franchise tags. I, I think a team has to be leveraged to the point where they know that the quarterback has options to leave the organization. Right now, there are no options. So the quarterback really has no leverage. Like they, they'll just say, well, you know, pay me, I'll tag you. So th there's no leverage for him. So I, I think that's what it would have to be. I, I think, you know, if you're Lamar Jackson, you have to get through this year, next year, and the following year. And then the Ra Ravens would be open to it because, you know, at that point, you know, you, you need to start making some decisions. Uh, let's see. What's the market for Josh Jacobs? I can't imagine that's going to be much of a market. Um, you know, a couple million bucks. And I can't imagine there's going to be people, unless the Arizona Cardinals decide to do crazy running back deals again, I can't imagine that there, there's going to be like a big market for someone like him. Uh, last question, I believe. Uh, Brian, Raiders have been a disaster through five games of the season and their fortunes seem unlikely to turn around. Given the way they've looked, what could they possibly sell? Is there any possibility they could look to deal Adams? He'd be pretty cheap on a suitor's cap. So, you know, I mentioned before that I, I guess if he gets suspended, that could void guarantees, which, you know, could could be something that comes into play. But the one thing, and I kind of forgot about this, where I mentioned about trading him, the Raiders did this bizarre restructure where they already committed to his option or his roster bonus that was originally due in 2023 they paid it this year why you got me didn't make any sense whatsoever um but they decided to do that so i would say that's very limited uh you know the decision that they they have is probably Derek carr um because the way they did his deal they, they got a pretty solid deal there um there is an out next year in it. It's not a great out, um, you know, and more likely it would be a trade, even though I think he has a no trade. I'm not, I'm not going to bother looking up my notes on that to see if he has a no trade um, because my opinion on all these guys is even if they have a no trade, I might just be getting them mixed up with uh, Kirk Cousins, but even if they have a no trade, I think a lot of times they are open to being traded. Um you know, if, you, if you're not wanted anymore, you know, trade me. Take me, uh, you know, somewhere that I want to be. But let, let me see what the number is for cutting him next year. Yeah, it's $5 million. Um, You know, the thing is you'd have to cut him right after the Super Bowl. So, you know, again, you could do the trade thing by holding him in there and that would lock in his money. So you, you would basically have that decision um, 
that discussion. I'm sorry. You'd be having that discussion with teams in January about, you know, do you want to trade for him? And then once the Super Bowl is over, if nobody has agreed to trade for him, you would make that cut. But I, I don't know what you would do. It's like you've got this money invested on defense. And, you know, Crosby is really look like the real deal. Jones, not as much. Um, yeah, Jones just looks like he's older. But, you know, you've got this money on defense. You have the money invested at the tight end. You have the money invested on the wide receivers. You know, you're not going to find anyone better than Derek Carr. It, it's like the, the decisions they made, it, it's just weird. It's like you got yourself some flexibility with Carr, which makes a lot of sense. But you didn't do that with the rest of your roster. So it's almost like you've got this flexibility with Carr, but what are your other options? So now if the Raiders completely blow it this year, I don't I don't think they will. Um, you know, the Raiders probably should right now be like a two-win team. So you would imagine they're going to get some more wins or get some wins this year. Um, but, you know, it, unless they're in a position to draft one of the top two or three quarterbacks this year, and maybe, maybe they will be, and I don't even know how many prospects there are. I haven't, I haven't really looked at uh, any of the lists yet uh, on that kind of stuff. Um, you know, I, I, I just don't know how you can pair a rookie. You know, I, you'd probably still have to keep Carr for the year, especially because if you go to a rookie, you, you might have the veterans kind of revolt. You know, this isn't what I signed up for when I came here. So, you know, I I don't think there's much they can do. I, I think it's going to be that, you know, we, we talk about these being games of inches like I was doing before. Sometimes you just get these seasons that do snowball. You know, the, the NFL is weird that way. You get games where you get every bounce of the ball. You know, the, the Jets have gotten most of the bounces, right? You had the wacky finish against the, the Cleveland Browns. You got the, uh, the the missed opportunities in Pittsburgh, and then you've got uh, you know the quarterback change. Then you've knocked the quarterback out against Miami. Um, you need the Giants. Every bounce has gone the Giants' way, and they're sitting there at four and one right now. You know, the Raiders. It's been the opposite. The Cardinals also been the opposite. Though some of that self inflicted wounds. Um, you know, sometimes it, it's not a lot that separates. Um, those things. So, you know, it, it's still early, so you don't know. But yeah, they're, they're not in a they're they're not in a good shape to to really do anything different. Um, I don't think with their team. And I think if things go if things go really bad, they're just going to have to get a real good kind of public relations uh, group out there to um, soften the image of McDaniel. And, um, you know, just every, anything and everything that's going on, um, you know, with that organization. So, all right, that'll do it for me today. So uh, hopefully I'll be back next week. Uh, if not, it'll be the week after that. We'll see how everything works out with the schedules. So uh, everybody have a great week and I'll talk to you all again soon.